Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon is a practicing CRNA for 20 plus years, the past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and has held many other leadership roles. In fact, a lot of our listenership know Sharon or at least know who she is. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. And Sharon, I think we have a great show Oh, we do. An unexpected surprise. It is, and we'll explain how that came about in a moment. But with us today, we have Terry Wicks. Hi, I'm Terry. Linda Stone. Hello. Brett Morgan. Hi there. And Peggy Contrera. Hello. And the title of our topic today is Unintended Consequences Relative to Nurse Anesthesia Education and the Nurse Anesthesiologist Descriptor. That's a mouthful, Sharon. It is. Did you come up with that? Well, actually, yes. And it's a good thing that I let you say it because it would have taken up the entire time with my slow draw um, to take that. Well, before Uh, we get started, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that everyone in this room is basically representing their own personal opinions and not their respective employers. Good point. Well, let's talk about how we arrived at having this discussion today. This is why it's an unexpected surprise, Jeremy. But last night we had dinner with a few of you guys, and the conversation turned to the descriptor because I like asking a lot of questions and what people's thoughts about that are. And it became a great conversation at that particular point. So we said, hey, why don't we do a podcast about it and put it out there? Right. And we are recording here at mid-year, so we've got some of the best of the best in the room with us. And I think it's going to be an engaging conversation today. Absolutely. So let's talk about a few of the unintended consequences that could come out if the descriptor passes. So who wants to jump in first here? I know we don't have a bottle of wine with us today. Hi, this is Linda. My biggest concern is the loss of clinical sites and or the reduction of students in these sites because nurse anesthesia programs are really dependent on the available spots and the clinical sites for being able to offer spots to applicants. I know in our particular area, anesthesiologists have a a big stronghold and influence over the hospitals and so they often can determine whether you're going to keep a site reduce your numbers those kind of things so I know that this will be an issue that is going to be very uh, really press their buttons 
This is Brett. I sort of echo what Linda has to say about this issue. I do want to say that I appreciate the reasoning for the suggestion of, of the name change, and, and I certainly support a lot of what's been said. But that being said, I feel like educational programs are at a much greater risk of suffering some of the consequences of this. Unlike clinicians, I think the clinicians are going to have to go to work. The operating rooms are going to have to continue to provide you know anesthesia services for surgery but the educational programs are a very sensitive area to any political issue around anesthesia practice we saw this with the the change to the DMP we saw anesthesiologists using that as an opportunity to limit or change access to clinical training opportunities and that took a long time to sort of undo some of that and so I would be concerned if, if a rapid change in name occurred, whether or not that would have... So what I'm hearing is that there's precedence for this. There is precedence for political issues having impact on access to clinical training, for sure. But particularly with the DMP, as we said, there have been already issues. And my particular situation, the anesthesiologist decided to pull funding and you know, did a variety of other things to try to shut the program down, only because they thought in their minds that that would then stop the DMP you know, train from occurring, and of course it didn't. I'd also like to bring up not only, this is Peggy, um, not only does it impact facilities or potential clinical sites, but within your own clinical practice. I work in an area where there is anesthesiologists, fellows, residents, student nurse anesthetists. As it stands right now, each provider, whoever's case it is, that's the one that gets to do the lines. That's the one that gets to do the regional. However, if the anesthesiologists get motivated and get worried, any particular anesthesiologist would have the ability to say, hey, you're not going to do the line. I think I'm going to bring a resident to that line. And I would hate to lose that ability as well. You know, Peggy, I think you bring up a good point. This is Terry. And, you know, all the time in our minds, we are always concerned about how these issues affect our students. And students new to the OR are under a lot of pressure emotionally. They're under a lot of time constraints. And it's difficult enough for them to manage the didactic part of their education and adapting to the clinical parts without putting them in the middle of a conflict in the operating room. And I certainly understand why physician anesthesia providers have that territory and want to protect that identity. But at the same time, as every educational process progresses and we get more education, then we need to be able to recognize that. So we're going to have to negotiate that chasm a little bit. And I I think we have to really be careful of how we observe the potential political consequences so we don't get our students stuck in the middle in the OR. I think that's a great point, Terry. I mean, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, in the back of my mind, I just keep thinking, you know, there's certain people in the ANA who obviously are pushing this. And do you think they've thought some of these consequences through? Or has any of you had any discussions with them in regards to this? This is Linda. And I actually did have a discussion today in which, you know, I asked that very question. What is your argument when educators tell you that this is going to impact my program? And again, the response was, well, you know, I think it depends on how fast this moves out. 
and the way that it moves out, which is not something that I I thought I had heard initially that I thought it was something that was going to happen immediately, or at least that was the push for it. But in terms of anything else, this particular individual said, you know, that, you know, of course, that was recognized that that was a potential, but had not really given real thought to it, except to say that CRNAs need to understand their value, and that we often underestimate our value to hospitals. But again, we all know that in many, many areas, the anesthesiologists have a much stronger voice and a much stronger position with some of these hospital administrators and those kind of things than we do. So even if we were to be able to keep on to our clinical sites, we would always have to fight that battle. So I think it's a real concern. And again, I just, as Brett mentioned, you know, I understand the value of the nurse anesthesiologist descriptor too. I mean, I, I thought that, you know, there've been some really good arguments for it. But the unintended consequences to me personally are much bigger, and it really is important to not move too fast on that. You know, Linda, I think you bring up a good point in terms of the pace of change. And I think Brett also mentioned that some of the conflict that we saw when the DNP programs were conceived and started to roll out. And I think the pace of change is going to affect a lot of the political consequences. When nurse anesthesia programs moved to the masters, there were political consequences to that. There were political consequences when we moved to the DNP framework, and there will be political consequences to this change. And I think the slower the pace of the change, the less intense the political consequences will be, and the more time people will have to adapt to those changes, both the physicians involved and the nurse anesthesia clinicians and the educators and the programs. Well, we know about how AANA is and uh, adapt to change in that that regard. We won't go down that path. But you bring up a good point. But I think, again, one of the reasons why we wanted to pull this group together is that a lot of people who give anesthesia every day are not particularly attuned to the problems that you face, all of you, in the educational arena. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this. But Brett, I think you had something to add. Well, just to go back to uh, Jeremy's original question, and I do want to commend the folks who are leading this initiative at the national level because there was a reach out to a nurse anesthesia faculty to ask, how do you think this will impact you? And we were given a platform to provide feedback. So I do appreciate that. I think that feedback it probably would be valuable to have that feedback shared with the broader CRNA community so that people who, like you said, Sharon, aren't necessarily aware of how these things will impact educational programs are given the opportunity to hear the educator's perspective. And all that being said, you know, I, I want to make sure it's clear I'm not necessarily opposed to the change. I think you know, change is a great thing and we're going to see lots of changes. I'm probably going to see lots more change over my career, but having a systematic approach to it to make sure that all the perspectives are taken into consideration and then a timeline, you know, ANA I think did a brilliant job or the CRNA community in general did a brilliant job with the transition to the DMP because we didn't come out and say we wanted it done in five years. That's what the nurse practitioners did and look, it failed for them. But we, we were very thoughtful on that approach and, and it's been something that we've been able to accomplish. That would be my biggest thing, to make sure if we're going to have a big change like this, that it's something that, that is much more deliberate and takes into the consideration all the potential impacts and then is rolled out on a timeline that's probably a little bit, little bit more reasonable. 
Hey Peggy, I'm going to ask you a question. So, you know, I was speaking to a student today who's in Florida, and she is all for this new descriptor. And in fact, in her facility in the hospital, they refer to themselves as nurse anesthesiologists already. And I said, don't you get any pushback on that? And she said, yes, we do, absolutely. But there's already a lot of stuff they won't allow us to do. How do you answer that? Well, in my opinion, I think if somebody, if the term is working great where they're at, I feel like everybody should be able to use the term that that helps them. But in my area, if I were to, our students were to start using that term, I think what it would do is highly motivate the anesthesiologist to counter it. There's a number of ways they can counter it. I'm affiliated with a university that does have an AA program. I can see them ramping up the AA program. I can see it causing conflict on an individual basis. We are in the process of building a health education campus because our director believes that the future of medicine will be collaboration. So on that campus we'll have uh, residents from two different medical schools, nurse and anesthesia students from two different schools, it will have dental students, it will have AA students, it will have PA students, and we're all going to be working together on one campus. I can even see in their educational classrooms it causing conflict between the different providers. And we really want to actually learn to work together. That's what's best for our patients. Right. I think that's a great point. Terry, you want to add anything to that? Well, I think that as time goes on and the pressures to provide care increase and the amount of resources and revenue to support those demands for care are diminished, our value will continue to grow as time goes on. And I think that will, in some ways, accentuate what we bring to the table in terms of flexibility and access to care. And I think that as we look forward and and this change is considered, we want to be sure that we don't jeopardize that position by overplaying that hand and recognizing that we're always part of that team, irrespective of what we bring to the table in terms of potential independence, that the healthcare system is going to require us to be cooperative and and to bring a cooperative attitude to the operating room. I have one question I would like to address to you guys, because there are some people who are going to say, this has been said before. Are we being, who was it that ran around the skies falling in? The chicken sky? Little. Chicken Little. Are we being Chicken Little here? So that's the reason why I asked if there had been precedents. But does anyone have anything to say to the people who will say that this has been said before the sky's falling in the sky's falling in and we still were able to get over that hump i guess i hear what you're saying and i think that there's probably some validity to that statement but at what cost will we get over that hump and so that would be my question can we get through this change without sacrificing some of the progress we're making around full practice authority Anna today in in the session even made mention that we're seeing the landscape around that change. So do we want to distract from that, you know, the momentum that we have around some of the other policy related issues? That would be my only concern. Yes, I think we could get over the hump, but at what cost? And so can we get over the hump a little bit differently? You know, Brett, I want to just remind our listeners that when 
the nurse anesthesia profession secured third-party reimbursement from the government, we had 200 anesthesia programs in this country. And the pushback from that change drove that number well under 100, and we have only just recovered from that. So even though the sky was falling then and it didn't fall completely down, it really shook the timbers of our profession. And we have to be aware that that's a possible consequence of what's happening today. Certainly there is bound to be some legal action as well, and is that where we really want to invest our money? Yeah, I think I was going to hit on that as well, Peggy, you know, that what is the cost of this initiative? You know, I mean, I'm sure the ASA is going to fight this, and I've heard a lot of CRNAs say, and where do we want to spend our money? Should it be in this battle over this descriptor, or should we spend it somewhere else where it's better used? So really, really good point. Well, let's go back to how this could occur, and we've talked about all at one time, or slowly. And I've given other people this particular analogy. I call my husband Pierce. Does anybody know his first name? For no. a long time I thought it was Pierce Pierce. That, that's exactly yeah, right. Me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly. And when I met him, everybody called him by his first name, which was the same name as my father. And when I would say his first name, which I will not say right here because nobody knows it anyway, he and my father would look around. So I decided I'm keeping this one, so I've got to call him something else. So I started calling him by his last name. His mother calls him by his last name (laughs) now. So I guess the point of my analogy is you can insidiously change this. You just get you a groundswell. And I'm not saying either way how I feel about this descriptor. I think it's a feel-good thing. I think it sounds really good, but as a previous leader of this association, I think we all have to be aware of some of the unintended consequences that we might face. And wise people have these discussions, and that's the reason why we're having this dialogue right now, just to put it out there as something that could happen. Well, and one of my other concerns that sort of speaks to what you're talking about, Sharon, is it could be a rapid change within our own organization, but that doesn't mean nursing will embrace the change as rapidly either. And 50% of our nurse anesthesia programs are housed in schools of nursing. And the nursing community we bank on for support being one of the four APRN specialties, and then we're going to change our name to take on a much more medical sound, pulling away from some of those nursing roots. I also wonder what unintended consequences could happen around that. And so having a much more deliberate, slow change of a name may benefit us in the acceptance both within the anesthesia community but also nursing. I guess another thing that I wonder, if we look back to the demographics of the CRNA community and the average age being 50 or right at it, and over 50% going to retire in the next 10, 15 years, And if this were to slow the training of students, that could have dramatic impacts moving forward as well. So a lot of things to think about. You know, this has a lot of moving parts, and I'm glad that you guys were um, bringing this stuff up today so that our listeners can uh, understand the ramifications of, of each part of this. Well, this has been a great conversation. We appreciate you guys coming and joining us today. We had 
a much better time, I guess, last night sitting at the end of, of the of the There was wine table. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it, it was a little bit livelier conversation in that regard, but, you know, wine is always the social lubricant, so to speak. So we appreciate you guys coming to join us today. Yeah, does anybody want to add anything before we go? I appreciate the opportunity to get our message out there and share our concerns. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. And so, Sharon, I, get, I think that's a wrap. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.